Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Future Film Podcast. It's your host here, Robert Fitzhugh. This week, in order to escape the quarantine blues, we are speaking to two very talented filmmakers, the team behind the incredible The Spectacle. Spectacle is a film that played at um, this year's Dublin Smartphone Film Festival and has just won, as of in the last day or so, the Mobile Filmmakers uh, International Festival for Best Film in Russia. So we're very excited to be able to talk to the filmmakers Ivo uh, Nefis and Fustine Cross about making their film, the process that went into it. This episode podcast is brought to you by our sponsors, SE Assets. So SE Assets, they make high-end optics and accessories for mobile phones, for photography and for filmmaking. You can imagine they make pretty quality lenses uh, that come in this amazing little set. And I was very lucky to be able to be out the other day in the woods, in isolation near my house, playing around with them. And uh, it's an exceptional uh, lenses that they sell uh, with really great cases and they're really premium smartphone optics. Um, so they pride themselves on being lenses that are created by content creators for content creators. So this Swedish company have very kindly given us a discount code that friends of the pod can use in order to avail of their sweet sweet products. And that code is Dublin25. So if you go to their website, which is SVAssets, uh, info at svassets.se and on checkout use the promo code Dublin25 you will uh, get 25% off uh, all their products, uh, which is a pretty savage deal. And that is valid until the 1st of July. So um, get cracking and uh, on with the pod. Hi, guys, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. How are you doing? Good. And you? Good. How are you? Good. Good. For anyone who's listening, I am speaking to Evo. Oh, my God. I forgot already. Evo Nestin. Nafius. Nafius and Fustin Cross. And they are the filmmakers and uh, director and editor of the uh, uh, Spectacle, which was a film that was shown at this year's Dublin Smartphone Film Festival. Um, and it was a film that um, I am very, very happy I showed. And I believe, uh, Eva, you had an in- email from me. It was quite a polarizing result that I got from people. And that was one of the main reasons I wanted to talk to you, because um, I uh, it, it kind of split the audience down the middle. Um, and I'll get into that a little bit later on. It was kind of an interesting outcome that came from it. And people definitely remembered it was one of the more memorable ones from the festival. But uh, I just want to have you on the podcast uh, just to chat a little bit about that. Um, but I suppose uh, it's probably best to get an idea about you guys. Where are, guys, where are you guys based at the moment? Um, well, at the moment, I'm living in Finland, in Helsinki. Oh, nice. Uh, because I'm actually uh, filmmaking something that I do as a side project at the moment. And... Um, I'm actually a chemist by profession, so I work at the oh. University of Helsinki. Well, so how did you, that's such a fascinating thing. You're, you work in Helsinki uh, and you ended up uh, doing filmmaking as a hobby and you made a film in Belgium. Yeah, but I originally uh, studied filmmaking in Belgium and uh, after doing four years of that, I felt a bit that I... Like in the filmmaking course that I was following, we had to make a film like every uh, semester. So that was sort of two films per year. And yeah. I think after four years, I felt a bit like I, I don't have anything to tell at the moment anymore. And I want to take a break to do something else. And I was always interested in science. So then I uh, changed to that. And for the last five years, I've been working in uh, science. Uh, first got my bachelor and master and then... And now I'm doing a PhD in the University of Helsinki then. 
And so you then went back and just kind of occasionally make films kind of as a hobby? Uh, yeah. So uh, the nice thing about the spectacle for me was that um, when I was, the previous films I made were often in the context of the filmmaking course. And yeah. this was one of the first films I made that was really separate from that course. So I didn't have a deadline to do it, but I really had to push myself to make it. And because uh, normally it's like I, I guess I, I it's difficult to make a, a project like that when you when there's not something that pushes you or like a deadline that you have. So I was really happy that we were able to pull it together uh, like that. And how long did it just kind of to focus on the spectacle moment? How long did it take you to film that then and set that up and shoot it and get it all done? Well, the story was I was thinking about the story for quite some time, but I think really like from the moment that we started to uh, write the screenplay was I think in the early 2018, so like oh, yeah, January, okay. and then we shot in um, uh, the summer of 2018. Okay, and and Fustin, your background are you uh, are you also uh, dabbling in in editing for for fun, or are you, and working full time, or is this your full time type of thing? No, I'm a full time editor. Oh, cool. Uh, I uh, met uh, Ivo during the during the time we were studying in Brussels uh, filmmaking. Yeah. So me, I continued. Okay. <laughs> continued to do film and uh, editing. And uh, mostly short films of fiction. I did a lot of uh, editing for them. And how do you find? Did you? Because I find editing great. When I when I studied film, the one thing I never thought I'd be able to do is edit because I thought I wouldn't have the concentration. Um, <laughs> and it turns out it's the one thing I love the most, and it's the thing I'm actually. That's why I. I, I, that's why I was late today even doing this is because I had headphones on and I was editing because I just spend all my time editing. Yeah. Um, so I really like it. It, it. I find it very relaxing to do. Um, not subtitles. I hate doing subtitles, but everything else uh, I find uh, incredibly relaxing when I'm editing. So you're editing projects. Have you edit, edited films, feature films, stuff like that? Or is it all smaller scale stuff? Uh, I've been working on feature films. Yes, uh, more documentary. Uh, I'm also myself a director. Oh, nice. And yeah, I'm yeah I'm quite versatile in the genre of editing that I'm doing or filmmaking uh, in general. I like to try uh, even experimental and you know, as long as the filmmaking process is a big part of each project, I like to be part of it. Okay, nice. So that's kind of cool. So. Here you guys are, 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 are working up a storm. I wanted to speak a little bit about the, the spectacle, I suppose, um, because, uh, Ivo, you were saying you, you had the idea in in uh, the summer of, well, sorry, you started filming summer 2018. Is it, is it ba it's based on a true story, yes? Uh, yes, it's based on a true story that happened somewhere, I think, in 2014. Yeah. So was... I knew about, uh, so maybe I should say a bit, so the, the it's based on a true story of uh, two girls that were 13 and 14 years old and um, they tortured and murdered a vulnerable woman in her own house and so throughout this whole event uh, this torture and murder they sent uh, their friends pictures and videos of what they were doing and this thing that, that the aspect of them filming everything and so 
of putting on a show for their friends. That was what really drew me into the story. And did you then uh, like it's it's you just took that as a framework and 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 built your own thing around it. It's it's only based on that idea really. And then the, I mean I'm assuming the character is all different, but it's for the most yeah. part it follows the same. I mean with it with because at one point at one point in the film for anyone who hasn't seen it, people leave suggestions to them to do things to them to the woman. Uh, their friends leave comments and things like that, and and they and they they action them out like kicker and stuff like that. Is that all elements that were added in, or did that actually happen during the real event? Uh, there's like what exactly happened during the real oh, event is not much known. So there's a lot of things added. Like we we try to stay somewhat close to some things that happen, or like to really uh, research what happened there. But it was like this aspect of the filmmaking that infested us the most and it was not the our purpose to make like an exact reconstruction of it uh, of yeah. what in reality because it's, also, it's yeah go ahead uh, it's also that um even when i knew this story i knew it for quite some time but i didn't really you know know how to approach this but it was not until i read uh, the society of the spectacle by Guy Debord which is also where the title comes from. Yeah, this is like a book where the art, the author argues that um, we have so much omnipresence of images in our society that leads us to be sort of detached from reality. And that's something I really wanted to sort of focus on: this idea that uh, these, not so much to say that these, the thing that these girls did, the torture and murder, was specifically done because of that, but that by this sort of image culture that we have and you can get sort of loose from reality and its consequences and by trying to put on a show you can like extend your boundaries and that was okay so that yeah because i I have so much to talk about on that regard but just but that's like it's interesting I, i i suppose the decision at the end that that cut at the end uh, to 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 re- to reveal people looking, you know, uh, that's actual real footage, yes, the, the people looking at things online, or is yeah. that footage you faked as well? Did you have to get permission from them, or did you just use it? <laughs> we uh, <laughs> <laughs> I certainly hope not. <laughs> <laughs> no, because it's it's it really hammers the point home at the end when it cuts to the to re- essentially reaction videos of people watching yeah. everything and anything online, um, and the, the, the I suppose. To get into the the the, the aspect of it, um, it's that was your first time. Had you shot on a phone before? I mean, obviously for a narrative purpose, it makes sense to shoot it on a phone. Had you used a phone before to film anything, or was that your first time? Um, I used the phone to shoot, just as never to do like a full film on it. I I did some like um, shooting on film, but just for like experiments. I have some, you know, like anamorphic lenses and that kind of thing for a smartphone and, but never really, I, I didn't ever use it for like a, sh- a short film. Cause one of the things that really, re- really, it's, it's very realistic. Yeah. Um, and I suppose that is the point. And it, it's very realistic to the point that, and, and, and it, and it weirdly, as an audience member, it's so realistic. You and and because you're watching it on a, in our case, you're watching it on a cinema screen. You almost become complicit uh, in what you're looking at, and you become very very uncomfortable. And um, yeah. I so so I suppose the idea was to shoot it on a phone to to kind of uh, bring you into that kind of mindset. 
Yeah, well, because that was really important for us, this concept that how I feel it is that like in a lot of things that we see today that uh, you see quite extreme events in a lot of things in cinema, but you see it from a certain distance often. Um, like a story that I often uh, tell then is like of uh, Ridley Scott, the director of Gladiator. Like he was uh, during the editing of uh, Gladiator, he wanted to show some gruesome events like you know, like somebody getting an axe to the face in the gladiator arena. Yeah. Test audiences were repulsed by these graphic images. So um, he, he was discussing with his editor, like, how do we make this? How can we show this to an audience without them being repulsed? And they got to this whole editing where they just show a couple of frames of like the impact and then they cut away from it. Yeah. And this actually worked in which... Uh, like people still saw the impact but they were more accepting of it so basically they find like a way to show extreme violence but in a way that's acceptable for people to show and it's like this sort of yeah it's a very objective clinical and sanitized way of showing extreme violence and we wanted to really not do that like we wanted if it's we didn't want this uh, extreme violence to be free to watch, like to be easy to watch. Uh, yeah. We wanted, uh, yeah, that people would be in this vlog style directly spoken to by the girls, that you are sort of in it with them. And uh, yeah, that's uh, that's it. It's, it's funny because there was, out of the two films that were at the festival, right? There was two films at the festival and they... Your one and another one uh, from Russia that was also excellent, but it, they had a somewhat similar subject matter. Uh, the other one was about uh, people who, who inevitably end up viewing a horrible incident uh, through live uh, broadcast on a phone. But that, that one was quite stylistic. And it was it, it, although it's very well done and it's excellent, you feel very much like you're watching a film that has a point. While with the spectacle, you're not quite sure... Uh, where, and it gradually eases you into it, but you're never really sure after a while if, if what you're watching is real or fake. Um, and 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 I mean, with this, the audience who watched it at our thing, um, uh, you could hear a pin drop in the room. Uh, you could feel collectively the oxygen pulled out of the room because people were becoming more and more increasingly uncomfortable. One of the reasons I love screening films like that, one of the reasons I love film festivals in particular is because Oftentimes, uh, as an audience, like with most things, uh, you'll actively um, create kind of a, the things you consume normally tend to reflect your comfort level. So you'll actively surround yourself with, and things like Netflix sort of help this, where the algorithm pushes you films that will, you know, match things that you've watched already. So generally a film festival like the one I run is an opportunity to force people out of their comfort zone to watch things that they might necessarily watch. Uh, so screening your film uh, was eye-opening because it, a lot of times it, it made a lot of people really uncomfortable. So I think I, I sent you an email about this, essentially to give you an anecdote from the festival. After a few minutes, I was outside and somebody wandered out after maybe three minutes of your movie. And they came up to me and they said, why, why would you? And this is an interesting debate. I, I Maybe you'll find interesting. They said, why would you show a film like that? And And I said, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, why would you show a film like that? I mean, what, what's the point of that? And and I, I said, well, I said, well, what, how far did you get into the movie? And, and they were like, well, I, I left after it just began. And I was like, well, did you stay till the end? 
And I said, well, no, if you stayed to the end, you would have seen the point. And, and they said, well, I still don't understand. It's too realistic. Um, it's, it feels too much like real life. Why would you show it? And I said, well, we're having this conversation. And I think that's the value in it. And that's the value in really good art is that it prompts the conversation. So we then proceeded to have a conversation about how that film would impact and would it affect somebody and would it not? And I found that I needed to show a film like that because I needed to put that in front of audience members. Um, now, that was one person who came out and they said, you know what, they found it quite uncomfortable. Other people in there thought it was one of the greatest things I'd ever seen, uh, particularly a friend of mine who watched it. He was a volunteer at the festival, said when it cuts to the end, uh, it, it it's really eye opening and it's really, really impactful. Another guy I know who runs a film festival um, said it was one of the most uh, kind of harrowing but amazing things he'd ever seen. Um, and he thought there was absolute value to viewing something like that. So I just think it's it was interesting because it is quite an uncomfortable experience and people react to it differently. But I don't know about you, but I, I, I'm assuming you do because you've made it. But I see real value in, 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 in making something like that and screening something like that to an audience. Have you gotten any sort of reactions from anybody who watched it or has anyone come back and said, you know, that was too much or too little or what, what's your feedback so far? Well, we've been in uh, some film festivals where we were actually in the audience and we had like a similar experience where when the film starts, sort of the first two minutes sort of ease you in. So people yeah. are quite, you have some people who are still laughing. They think the girls are quite funny. And then when it really kicks off, then it's silence in the room and you really feel this sort of atmosphere in the room. And I know that because but there's a difficulty i guess for film festivals sometimes and also for this film to find its way to festivals is i i've heard a lot from programmers that they have difficulties to find like where do we put this exactly the, this film yeah. and yeah. often in, uh, in film festival when they like the film they have to build a block around it uh, because they believe that you cannot put this film uh, in between comedies or something like that. So they, uh, the last uh, two uh, or recently two film festivals, they they did it to uh, yeah construct a thematic around the film to make it like more apparent that it has a point. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, yeah yeah I I I I programmed it slightly like that I. I, I eased people into it. I, I didn't have a I didn't ram it between two comedies, but I, 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 I eased people into it with two shorts before. Then I had that. And then I had a lighthearted thing straight after that to kind of recalibrate people a little bit. And not a comedy, like a lighthearted documentary yeah. or an Irish, just something about local people and and a project. And I just put something in there to to kind I didn't want to put a comedy straight in afterwards because I felt I felt that would have been very odd. But I, so I put in kind of a, a, a sort of a light documentary uh, in order to kind of ease people out of it. But have you had anyone push back saying, oh, I really like it, but I can't program it? Well, I don't know. I, I've, it's, um, I, I've, I've heard some people who said, like, I, I'd like to program it, but I have to see if I got other films that can fit into this. Uh, and if not, then I cannot program it for the festival. So... It's it's funny. It's a funny system. I mean, one of the conversations I had with the the example of this person afterwards was a little bit like uh, along the. It's a funny world because, as a festival director, I'm I I shouldn't really 
I mean, I'll give you an example, okay? When I was in film school, uh, a bit like yourself, you're saying you had to make two films uh, a, a semester. And I made a film, and it was a dark comedy about, based, somewhat similar, not similar, but it was based on a true story I'd read that happened in Cyprus, I think, about a man who uh, was trying to frighten his wife, um, uh, pretending that he hung himself, and he accidentally killed himself um, in the process. Now, I had wanted to make something along this line. My, the one I made was a much broader comedy um, that that took that idea and expanded on it. And, and I turned it into um, uh, it was about autoerotic asphyxiation. And it was a dark comedy about a guy who who accidentally kills himself for autoerotic asphyxiation. So when I was making that film, uh, I was told uh, that festivals wouldn't screen it uh, because they tend to shy away from content like that. Um, so I ended up kind of diluting my story and changing it a lot. Um, me, I, I, in hindsight now, I wouldn't have done this, but at the time I did it based on, on what I was told. But I think it's, it's, a, it's a funny experience because I shouldn't, I'm, I shouldn't, how do I put this? I shouldn't really be in a position to be a gatekeeper to what an audience sees or not. Uh, and you've gone to the effort of making something um, and and crafting something that has a point and has impact. And then it comes to somebody like me and a team of judges. And we say, well, this film is technically really well made. It's very, very interesting, but I don't think I can show this to an audience. And I think that's kind of a, a weird scenario because the criteria for our festival is that it just has to be innovative, well-made, uh, innovative technology and, and use that technology. And your film kind of fit that criteria. So yes. I'm in a position where I'm like, well, I want to show it. Uh, and I think there's value to an audience seeing it. Who am I to decide whether an audience can kind of handle that or not? Uh, I'm best to just show it and then deal with that feedback. Um, and when I showed your film, the feedback was split down the middle. Some people found it uncomfortable. Some people found it a value to seeing it. And to me, I suppose it comes into a sort of a censorship thing where somebody was basically saying to me, why would you program something like that? And I'm saying, well, why wouldn't I program something like that? Who am I to decide how that is programmed? Uh, you know what I mean? Someone's gone, you've gone to the effort of making it. I need to facilitate you to show it to an audience, whether or not an audience necessarily wants to see it or not. But the value of a film festival to me is that there's a, a it's a broad spectrum of things mm. um, that, that are viewed by everybody who's in the audience. And they may not like everything, but it's a mixed bag of things that they get to see. So it's just an interesting conversation. I was just wondering, was it something that you had dealt with? Or, or, because it's quite harrowing and it's quite violent and it makes people quite uncomfortable. But at the same time, it's very well made and it's very realistic. And it's a really good use of, of, of I think you, what you set out to do in terms of dragging the audience into it is done very, very well. And I think that there's value to that. And I think there's a value to an audience seeing that. And it's something I will never forget. One of the things I won't forget from, from any of my festivals. But um, I was just curious, was that something that you've you've, you've kind of dealt with, but you, you're saying that you are getting some feedback on that. Um, Fustine, from, a, from an editing perspective, how was it to edit it together? How was it to put it together uh, to maintain that sort of slow rhythm and pace and dread that builds its way up? Because you have to drag the audience in. Yeah, well, the, um, the editing process uh, took different uh, stages. First, uh, we we uh, worked on like putting together all the takes because the film was entirely shot in uh, plan séquence you yeah. know where uh, you had the girls performing each scene uh, multiple times yeah and when we would uh, construct the whole skeleton it would be around like 40 minutes and of course oh, okay. it was 
really heavy to watch. Like it was, it was really um, lacking some, yeah, some. Uh, how do you say? Levity. Uh, uh, or how? Yeah, it was too much real time, you know. Yeah. So reason was there to be found, and then we started to cut and to basically go back to the yeah screenplay intention and Evo's intention to make everything come into a form that would really express this vlog style and the the the, the gradually the violence the violence that gradually comes in in this staging of uh, their life and this was done by always having in the back of the head uh, this limit that was very thin between being exploitive, exp- how do you say, exploitative? Exploit- yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, or not. Like, how how do we make this point come across that we play on a very narrow line, but at the same time, we want to convey a very strong message about the society of entertainment and how far it can disconnect us from reality. And so this was the whole challenge of this editing because it couldn't be only about being realistic. You see, it had to be also conveying this uh, layer of uh, point of view about the image culture of nowadays. So it was very subtle, subtle cuts that we had to do and subtle change of scenes sometimes we inverted what was originally written in order to you know to yeah editing was really a big part of writing the the movie in the end and uh but it it was only to make all the intentions more powerful in a way so i assume that you had a the I assume when you say the initial cut is 40 minutes, you, you had a, an element of it. There was a lot more to it. It was a lot more in the sense that there was much more in the way of buildup or much more in the way of torture. Or, or, or what way did you did you decide what stayed in and what left? Like what what kind of stuff did you leave on the cutting room floor, I suppose? Well, I think where the 40 minute comes from is specifically from the way that we shot. Because well, originally we had this idea to... Like very early in the process of the film, we had this idea to maybe shoot some with uh, traditional sim- cinema cameras. Yeah. But we wanted to go fully for this idea of having everything uh, in the smartphone in this vlog style. And that actually freed up quite a lot of things for us um, in terms of like now we didn't have like to have necessarily a DOP on set. We still yeah. had a DOP who did a lot of work for the, the film, but he didn't. We wanted to. Uh, actresses to actually hold the camera themselves because we have some of these uh, like for instance you have this film uh, The Visit by M. Night Shyamalan yeah, yeah. Um, which is a film that is supposed to be filmed by the characters themselves on an old camera yeah, but, but it's... <laughs> everything is in 4k quality and the camera movements are always perfectly smooth even yeah, so if they're a little running bit... away and it draw it, it and it, it seems very with that film it's it seems like a, it's very much a gimmick that they drop relatively yeah. quickly uh, and and why they insist on sort of trying to stick to the rules when clearly they're not visually mixed yeah go ahead sorry go on eh? yeah no so that's 
something like we we really had this idea then now if we're going to go for the smartphone then we also want the actresses to hold uh the camera themselves so they were operating the camera we had the dop he would put like the iso settings on uh on the phone and then he would get out and we also had uh lighting and uh microphones hidden in the room no, so cool. there was no uh nobody yeah nobody of the crew had to be on set so we just got everybody out, the whole film basically more or less placed in one single room so what we did is in the beginning everybody we set up the the scene and then everybody went out and then the three actresses they played the entire scene from beginning to end uh, and they had 360 freedom to turn the camera wherever oh, they wanted wow. yeah and Specifically in the ver- in the first um, the first take that we would do, we would give very little uh, uh, directions, and they could just do what they wanted. And then after that, we would look at it and go a bit like maybe it would be nice if you would uh, frame this in the camera and and things like that. But uh, what I think we had then is that uh, well, every time it would be like a full uh, the full scene. And so when we started with the editing, what we had was just, I think the film is in total like eight scenes and we had these full eight scenes uh, back to back and that oh, was okay. the 40 minutes that we had. So there was really not a lot of uh, cutting going on already on set, so to speak. So that's kind of a, that's that's in ter- that's a lot of incredible fate in, in your performers as well, because you're essentially leaving the room and assuming it's going according to plan and then go back in so that could that could if that backfired you'd be there for days on end trying to get it right but uh where did you source the did because the performers are amazing and and they kind of add to the realism of this they never strike a sort of artificial note once in the entire thing were these like local actresses that you cast uh yeah so the two uh main characters uh the were from a um uh, a, a school uh, like a high school that, that specializes in, in in drama and acting yeah. uh, in uh, in Belgium. Uh, so I went to see a performance of them there, and then uh, we got to talk, and uh, they agreed to do the film. And then uh, the actress who plays the uh, the woman who is being murdered, she um, I sent a screenplay to her, and she was really into it. And, um, I've Often what we have is that the, the the two main actresses, the younger girls, get a lot of uh, the the praise of the film because they play a lot of the or yeah. they are a lot on screen. But I think also the uh, Joan, the woman who plays the, um, the 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 older woman who is getting uh, murdered, she also should get a lot of praise for what she did because I think it's a really difficult role to play and to. Uh, yeah, just like it's it's kind of even emotionally heavy to play that on set. And no, and she's excellent because she doesn't have a whole heap to say, but she sells it a lot with with her actions or reactions or the look in her face or the or her movements or the way the, her, the way she sits in her chair and everything. It, it tells you a whole kind of story about her yeah. and, and she becomes an incredibly interesting character. And she genuinely seems like somebody you would see wandering down the street. Uh, um, like she seems like a real person, and and uh, her body, body, her mannerisms and everything tell you much more of a story than kind of a backstory ever would. So um, there's real kind of when things start to 
spiral out of control. She feels very much like a a, a human being who who's who's having this happen to her, not just some sort of kind of prop that's out there, you know, for the entire movie. But the um, no, it's just fascinating. And and you shot it all in one night, yeah. Um, we shot it over um five five days. Okay, cool. Um, that's cool. It's an incredible process to to let to kind of gear up your performers and then let your performance kind of do everything what and then you have to come back and then oversee what they've done and, and give them notes so it's incredible kind of trust in your actors and things like that um but so sorry go on uh yeah so how we did it we did have like um so we shot on an iphone i think the iphone 7 and um we used this uh i how was the program called it's um movie pro app we yeah <laughs> that we that we used for it and there you can um um there you have like a sort of a remote thing so we had we could screen mirror on another on another iphone and then that iphone was connected to a monitor so i could still see what was going on Uh, okay Okay, cool yeah i I thought you were just closing the door and saying okay see you in five minutes and then you burst back in and then you have to rewatch all the takes and be like oh okay do this differently no that's pretty interesting so now that the spectacle is done and you're running the festival circuits, what what's next for you? You just stick into your day job, or have you got any other ideas for the Perrys? Like, what's what's on the slate for the for the Perrys next? So I've been uh, working slowly, I would say, on a new project. I've been also with the spectacle largely came from sort of this internet culture of the reaction videos and looking at these kind of like uh, gruesome things online and. Yeah. Now I've put my focus more on uh, like extreme right or alt right culture online. Okay, cool. Idea of how using memes or like memes are used by them to make extreme right ideas more like fashionable again. And so that's a project I'm working on at the moment. Wow. And is that going to be uh, filmed on a phone again, or do you think you'll use cameras, or what way? What way are you going to approach that? Um, at the moment, we haven't gotten a full idea yet. I think it's going to be um, uh, filmed more like as as a documentary. Uh, we wanted it's still a fiction film, but we want to sort of mimic the style of a documentary. So I okay. do think it's not going to be uh, with uh, smartphones for the moment, at least. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Now that's that sounds really really cool. And Fustine, what what's on the slate for you? Will you be working on this project, or are you editing things as as you go at the moment? Uh, for the moment, I uh, I am busy with the um, editings. I also uh, help Ivo with the next film. Mm-hmm. And uh, usually uh, he involves me a lot already uh, from the writing process. So. Yeah. I can follow the, for even though uh, it's gonna be a long journey, I, I follow the, the process going on before the editing. Okay. And uh, I am uh, also directing my, uh, my documentary at the moment. Oh, brilliant. What's that about? It's uh, a documentary about uh, the family footage that I inherited from my uh, father, oh. who is a filmmaker. So he, he filmed a lot my childhood in in a way that everything looked a bit staged and yeah. 
happy and perfect. And in all this huge quantity of footage that goes through the first 10 years of my life, I am interested in making a film where I try to, to um, discover a reality that I feel that is behind it, which is the portrait of my mother, who yeah, somehow yeah. detached herself from this happy family portrait because she uh, had a lot of struggle to conform to her role as a mother. Uh, and so I try to make the portrait of my mother with the embellished footage filmed by my father. If you see, that's really that's really interesting, and and I, it must be very interesting to edit it as well to go back and to play through these things and and to play off kind of your memories of events versus the staged, I'm using Real air quotes reality that your your father had created uh, through through video. There's a whole interesting topic there about reality versus fiction and 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 your memories and and and, and particularly around the idea of. You'll see now. I no, I, was, I, I find it interesting because I, I was involved in a debate once about computational photography, um, and they were talking about you know like when you take a photo now on your phone and your on your phone um, uses uh, you know the 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 phone will 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 automatically edit your picture in camera. Um, yeah. And there's a, there's a whole kind of idea about that. A bit like you know, 15 years from now, when you look back at pictures of your life. Will you be looking at a, a picture of you or will you be looking at a, a machine's best version of what you look like and how that will affect your memories and things like that? So I just find that whole kind of process, very that the whole kind of idea of, of fiction versus reality based on video and, and photography, very interesting. So it sounds like it's going to be a really um, fascinating documentary to watch. Yeah. I'm looking forward to see it as well. <laughs> yeah, 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 well, you have to sit and watch all this footage. So, uh, but it must be nice it's to yeah, it must be nice to edit something you're in for a change, as opposed to editing other people's stuff. <laughs> yes, but it's also uh, very necessary to work with the. Uh, I mean, I can work by myself, but at a certain point, it's necessary to work with uh, an editor. Yeah. Because uh, uh, the external vision and the synthetic mind or like the right distance uh, yeah you're, you're too involved in in a, in a project like that it's nice to get a second opinion uh that can kind of be a little bit more detached and tell you what's work what works and what doesn't work yeah but even that's a, a story in itself because you're looking at your memories trying to decide what's invaluable to you and then you have someone come in to say well this is invaluable and this isn't valuable and and why those memories are valuable to you in that story. Anyway, we could you, it's a snake eating its own tail that could go on. For <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, but uh, anyway, listen, I'll leave you guys get back to uh, a sweet, sweet isolation, which I'm assuming you're in like all the rest of us. But um, yeah. uh, best of luck and keep busy and stay safe, guys. And I will uh, speak to you soon. Thank you very Thank much. You. OK, no worries. So that's it from our chat with Evo and Fustine. I hope you all enjoyed it. If anyone wants to check out the spectacle now, they can on, uh, if you look up on YouTube, if you look MFIF 2020, best feature, you will get a link to the spectacle uh, on the Mobile Filmmakers YouTube channel. And be sure to check it out because it is absolutely phenomenal. It's, um, as we mentioned in the podcast, it is powerful stuff and makes for uncomfortable viewing. But I, I recommend it's something that you should watch because it really is eye-opening stuff and it is premium filmmaking on a mobile device. Uh, so I hope everyone is staying safe and uh, talk to you soon. All right, bye, bye.